0: Good evening, everybody. Good evening. It is Exodus, the 16th chapter, where my Bible is opened up. I'm going to use these verses at the top of Exodus, chapter 16, to develop what I hope will be some timely thoughts, considering what time of year it is, and some things that I hope will help all of us in a very practical kind of way. Exodus, chapter 16. As you're turning there, I will echo the welcome that's been extended to you already. It is great to see you all this evening, what a, just a really, quite a beautiful day that the Lord has given us. Makes us forget about the fact that it, it was snowing just a couple of days ago, I thought. And we get like 60 degree weather today. That's just a nice uh, change of pace. I'm glad though that we're really able to be here tonight together to worship God and to study from His Word one more time. To think about the Lord who gave us this beautiful and wonderful day. In Exodus chapter 16, I'm looking here at the top of the chapter. As we talk here about the Israelites, this is just shortly after passing through the Red Sea. We're told in verse number 1. In Exodus 16, in verse 1, it says that they sent out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Verse 2, "...and the whole congregation of the people of Israel..." grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You know, it seems to me that Americans have become very proficient... At a very unique and special skill that I think maybe sets us apart from all the rest of the world. I believe that we as Americans, we maybe have become just about the best in the whole world at whining. Let me give you just a couple of illustrations of what I'm talking about. In Atlanta, there was a Wendy's restaurant in Atlanta where a man came in and actually robbed the store. He was so put off, though, by the skimpy haul that he received that he actually, when he got home, he called the restaurant twice to complain about the fact that they hadn't given him enough money. Or what about this? Following a long summer vacation in Yellowstone National Park, an angry woman grabbed a park ranger to complain that the sun was so hot there that it had melted her ice cream. Can you believe that? Or maybe this illustration, maybe this best illustrates our proclivity for complaining. A fellow by the name of Arthur Bundridge, he robbed a bank in Syracuse, New York. He handed the teller a note demanding $20,000. When he got home, he counted his haul and he found out that they had shorted him. He was so angry about that that he marched right back down to the bank to complain to the teller at which point police officers were there to swiftly arrest him and take him in. Now that, of course, is world-class stupidity, but it is also world-class whining. And unfortunately, Arthur Bundridge and the lady at Yellowstone Park and the guy at Wendy's, they are not alone in doing that kind of complaining. You know, we... We love to whine and complain and groan and vent and gripe about everything. That this is just the worst. My life is just so awful. I can't even. And I realize that sometimes we register complaints about various things that maybe we're doing that because we're trying to be constructive. Sometimes if you don't say something, nothing ever gets done. So, so sometimes those complaints, are, they're very valid and there's a place for that. We're trying to help affect change in a positive sort of way. And I understand about that and you should know this evening. But that's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm talking about this evening is the kind of thing we see here in Exodus chapter 16. Grumbling and complaining that does not yield anything constructive. That does not lead to any kind of positive action. In fact, the Israelites here in Exodus chapter 16, they in many ways are the poster children for this kind of thing. Whining for the sake of whining. And that is why this evening, for just a few minutes, I'd like for us to spend just a few moments at the intersection of American culture and Israelite culture, because it seems that maybe this is one of those areas where both of those cultures are just perfectly aligned. And specifically right now in a season when our nation is about to pause for a day of thanksgiving, a time of year where people are all about counting our blessings, it seems very appropriate that we would spend just a few minutes thinking about some of the ideas and some of the things that get in the way of that. In fact, this evening the way that I want to talk about that is I want to talk about what we can do to stop complaining. Maybe to say that in a more southern style I want to talk to us this evening about how you can quit your whining. And I don't know if Moses would have used that particular verbiage, but that's the way that I'm going to say it this evening. Quit your waning. Because whining it absolutely wars against real gratitude and real thanksgiving. And just quite frankly, that is just not how God's people are to be. This evening, I want to look at God's first covenant people, the Israelites. And I want us to see here in Exodus chapter 16 where exactly that they went wrong. And in so doing, I hope that that will then help us to find four fixes for whining and complaining that will help us to be a people who are truly abounding in thanksgiving. That's the goal. And that all begins this evening by just noticing verse 2. Would you look at verse 2 again? Because the cause of the Israelites complaining was clearly their present circumstances, the circumstances that they had found themselves in in that moment. Look in verse 2, what's it say? The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, where were they? In the wilderness. It seems to me that the Israelites had a problem with fixating on the present discomfort of the wilderness and that what they really needed to do was they needed to start thinking more big pictures. Now, I certainly understand all that is said these days about the idea of living in the moment, about being fully in the present. Hey, put your cell phone away and be in the now with the people who are right here in front of you, with your family and the people who are with you. I get that and I think there's a lot of good in that idea and there's something to be said about that. But sometimes I'm afraid that we get so in this moment that what happens is is we lack some much-needed big-picture perspective. We lack the ability to just kind of step back for a moment and to see the bigger picture. Israel, yes, you are in the desert. Yes, there are not any restaurants there. Yes, there are no supermarkets there. Yes, the scenery is dull. Yes, it's hot. Yes, this is not exactly an ideal tourist destination. I get that. But can we kind of just put all that to the side for a moment? Can we put pause on how awful and wretched and terrible this situation is? Can we zoom out a little bit? And let's see if we can get a wide-angle zoom, a wide-angle lens view of where it is that we were, I don't know, three months ago? Six months ago? A year ago? Oh, I can tell you where we were three months ago. We were in slavery! That's where we were! Whatever this bad thing is that's going on right now out here in the wilderness, it's not as bad as slavery. Hot weather, having to walk long distances, the general discomfort of being in a wilderness, that doesn't begin to compare to the awfulness of slavery. This current crisis, it does not negate the reality that we are actually doing way better than what we used to be doing. You know, when we were in Slavery! And if we would just step back for a moment, and if we'd look at the big picture, then you know what? Maybe all this whining that we're doing, maybe it would, maybe it would clear up. In fact, I think Paul helps us here. Would you hold your place in Exodus? Look in 2 Corinthians 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul here makes a statement that I think really helps us to develop some long-range perspective. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is verse 17. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For this light, momentary affliction, it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. One translation actually renders that verse, For our present troubles are small, and they won't last for very long. And I think that's exactly right. We need to see those present troubles, whatever they may be, we need to see them as being small, as inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. In many ways, I actually think that this first idea, this first fix, it's kind of like Purell. Do you know what Purell is and what Purell does? You ever looked at a bottle of Purell? What's it say on the front of the label of Purell? It says this will cure or it'll kill 99.9% of germs. And I think that's kind of what this first point will do for a lot of us. If we'll grab a hold of this, if we'll get serious about this, and about all the minor inconveniences and the minor discomforts of life of the present, what that would do is, is that would kill probably about 99.9% of our moaning and our whining. You know, from time to time, I I will find myself griping, if not outwardly, certainly in my head, about some petty thing. Something that I've just built up to be this big gigantic thing in my mind and then maybe I'll be on the internet or something and I'll stumble upon images like these. And those images, they humble me. They make me rightfully feel ashamed. And they give me a really heavy dose of perspective. Do you know the truth of the matter? The truth of the matter is, you shouldn't take shocking images like that in order to remind us that our first world problems, they are very rarely ever as bad as we make them out to be. You know, one of the best ways to help us in developing a more big picture mentality, the way that we can then put an end to our whining, is this second idea, and that is by just refusing to idealize the past. Would you go back to Exodus 16 again? In Exodus chapter 16, notice that gripe of the Israelites again. Look in verse 3. In Exodus 16, in verse 3, this was their gripe. Verse 3, the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full. It seems that every time Israel throughout their history, whenever they get to whining, Egypt gets brought up. In chapter 14, while they're there on the shores of the Red Sea, Egypt is talked about and it's idealized as being this just amazing place. In chapter 17, there's more whining at the waters of Maribah, And once again, Egypt is talked about as if it's just the most wonderful place on earth. Why, to hear Israel tell it, they would say, hey, there was this amazing and wonderful place called Egypt. And there, when we were there, the Egyptians... They just waited on us hand and foot. They they fed us the finest cuisines. We lived in the lap of luxury there. It was champagne wishes and caviar dreams when we were in Egypt. Oh, come on. That is not an accurate description of the past. Israel, you were slaves in Egypt. You were the ones who were waiting on the Egyptians hand and foot. In fact, did you forget, 40 years ago, the Pharaoh tried to kill all of your male children. How great was that? Not at all. You know, the term that the Scripture uses repeatedly throughout to describe the state of affairs of that time in Egypt was not a bunch of rosy, flowery terms that idealized the past. Oh, it was wonderful and it was amazing. No. The Scriptures describe that time in Egypt as bondage. Bondage. 400 years of bondage. 400 years of making mud bricks for Pharaoh so that he could build his great tombs and his great pyramids off the sweat of their labors. When Moses showed up and he told these people, hey, God has sent me to come and deliver you out of this place, none of the Israelites said, nah, Nah, we're good. We like it here. I think we'll just stay here. No! Those people were thrilled to get out of bondage. But now somehow, by the time you get to Exodus 16, somehow that past in their minds has now become just so amazing and so wonderful. Man, we wish we were back there. We wish we were back in the good old days. Man, that happens a lot to us today. There is just something about the human mind. And how the mind has a way of just romanticizing the events of the past. We sometimes have very selective memories about our own personal history or the history of things that go on in this world. We tend to, in our minds, we minimize the bad stuff and we glamorize all of the big stuff, all of the good stuff. And in some ways, I guess that that's that's okay, that that can be helpful. In some ways, maybe that's a blessing from God that our mind is able to, to function in that way and we don't get hung up on the bad things of the past. But you know what if we don't get control of that? If we don't get control of our tendency to idealize the things that happened before, then we can end up like these Israelites, where we're belly aching, and we're saying, "Oh how, I wish we could go back to those good old days where we just had it so good." In fact, this is not just a problem here in the Old Testament. This actually seems to be a problem for these Israelites, these Jews, all throughout their history. Would you look in the New Testament? Look in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, the Jews just seem to really have a way of remembering the past in very rosy ways, through rose-tinted glasses. Because in John chapter 8 and verse 32... Jesus talks to them about how you can be set free. You should know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then notice verse 33, their reply. They answer him, We are the offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. Really? What about when you were slaves in Egypt? What about the Babylonian captivity or the Assyrian captivity? What about right here in New Testament times when the Romans, they have seized your land, they've seized the city of Jerusalem, and they are occupying your land because you, in many ways, are their prisoners. These Jews were very, very proud of their history, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it seems that their pride in their history seemed to have a, kind of almost obscure the reality of what had really gone on in their minds. Sometimes that happens with people today, and I hear that when I talk with people. People get off on a big gripe fest, and they just start ranting on and on about the good old days. Oh, I'll tell you what. I remember when we had three week gospel meetings. Everybody came to the meeting every single night. And that, of course, then sets up a great whine about meeting attendance today. Or you know what? I remember when we only had three channels on the television. We didn't have all these smartphones and laptops and iPads and all of this kind of stuff. And that, of course, then sets up a wonderful whine about modern technology. Or you know what? Back in my day, we just shook hands with a man. You didn't need to have contracts and fancy paperwork. No, a man's word was his bond and that's all that we needed. On and on, the moaning and the griping goes. Why, to hear some people talk today, you would think that, the 1930s or the 1940s or the 1950s, that back in that time, every single person was a Christian. Everybody in the whole United States had morals and values and integrity. Nobody ever drank. Nobody ever got a divorce. Sin was just practically unheard of back then. Churches were busting out at the seams. In fact, they needed multiple baptistries in order to accommodate everybody. Come on. Were there some good things in the past? Yes. Were there some difficulties and some blemishes in the past? Yes, there were. But all too often we just forget that. We paint everything in the past in a a golden hue and then we compare that to today, to our present circumstances and that makes us just think and whine about how awful things are right now. Solomon's going to get the last word here. Look in Ecclesiastes, please. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, high school class, we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, the wisest man on the planet at that time, this is what he observed. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, this is verse 10. Solomon says, Do not say, Why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Solomon says, Don't go go around asking and talking about how days gone by were it is so much better than today. Solomon says, that is foolish for you to say that. And even more so, that turns you into a whiner. Now, as I turn back to Exodus chapter 16, would you notice again in verse 3, would you notice that not only is there an idealizing of the past, but there also seems to be some comparisons going on. Did you notice verse 3, how the Israelites... They're comparing their provisions, or maybe the lack thereof, they're comparing that to those meat pots and the bread that was going on in Egypt. All those Egyptians, those people over in Egypt, you know what? They've got it made. I tell you what, we're over here starving, and they're over there eating potted meat. I think this is where potted meat started, was right back here in this verse. They're getting all kinds of potted meat on their bread. We've got nothing. They've got everything. I looked on their Facebook page, and oh, it was just a big potted meat feast that they had last night. Wine, wine, wine. Sounded all like us today. When are we going to stop comparing ourselves to others? You know, it's not enough that we idealize the past. Sometimes we idealize how others are living right now. You know, I wish I had His house because mine's just so small. Look at their new car. I'm surprised ours even started this morning. Look at her life. It's so amazing. My life is so pathetic. How much of our whining is the result of measuring ourselves by the standards of other people? And as a result of that, we end up saying things like, I wish I could be like them. Why can't my life be so great? Why can't I have the things that they have? That kind of attitude, that kind of outlook on life, that absolutely destroys gratitude. Teddy Roosevelt once said, comparison is the thief of joy. And I think that's exactly right. And I would say right here, this is a great place for me to make this point, that with the advent of social media in our world today, it becomes easier and easier to compare our lives with others, doesn't it? I see somebody's amazing vacation pictures on Instagram. Oh, I wish I could go there. I read somebody's tweet about how how great and fabulous their wedding was. Why wasn't my wedding so fabulous? I look at somebody's post on Facebook of their beautiful, happy family, and they're all smiles, and they've got it all together, the husband and the wife and the 2.3 kids and all of that. And we get done looking at all of that kind of stuff. And how do we feel? We feel inferior. We are unhappy. We are less content. And guess what? We're not very grateful. A researcher who actually works for Instagram. I found this interesting that this was actually said by a guy who works for a social media giant. He said, one theme that seems to come up the most from our users is the feeling of inadequacy. The sense that social media is a catalyst for comparing our lives, comparing our talents, comparing our looks to everybody else's, and then feeling like we are not good enough. And that's exactly what happens. We get to look into others, and we run through that gamut of emotions, and really at the end of it, we're just left feeling miserable. And when we're miserable, what are we prone to do? We're prone to whine. I made this point a couple of weeks ago, talking about comparisons in Numbers chapter 13. You remember that story in Numbers chapter 13 and 14? The 12 spies that were sent in to spy out the land of Canaan? Ten of those spies come back and they have a negative report. They've got a bad, an evil report, the Bible says. And the reason they came back with that evil report is because they had compared themselves to those giants in Canaan. They had said, in our own eyes, we saw ourselves in comparison to them and we just looked like grasshoppers. And the point that I made a couple weeks ago about that is the exact same point that I'm going to make about that tonight. If you're doing that, if you're comparing yourself to other people, stop it! Stop doing that! Get your eyes off of everybody else. If Facebook and Instagram, or maybe just turning on the television and seeing how great everybody has it in Hollywood, if that's causing you to be a whiner, turn it off. Log off. Disable your account. You focus on your blessings. Focus on what you have and then you give God the credit. You give God the thanks for what you've got. Stop comparing yourself to other people. That will really go a long way to quench your whining. And since we are talking about other people, that would then lead me to this fourth and final fix this evening for whining. And really this is the one that really kind of hit closest to home for me because I think that I've been guilty of being on the wrong side of this and many other times I didn't take action when I should have to get away from this. And that is, if you've got a problem with whining, I'm going to suggest you need to get away from people who whine. Get away from that toxicity. Would you notice again in Exodus chapter 16? Did you notice that it wasn't just one person? who came and registered this complaint against Moses and Aaron. No, 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 no. Verse 1 says, all the congregation of the people of Israel. Verse 2 says it again, the whole congregation of the people of Israel. You see, this, this was a group effort. And that is because whining is toxic. It is contagious. It spreads like a virus. Somebody in that group in Exodus 16, somebody had to start it, alright? Somebody had to be the one to vocalize that the first time. But then the rest just followed suit. It was just like a stack of dominoes falling down. That happened in numbers with those ten spies that I alluded to a moment ago. Ten spies come in. They give a negative report of the land. We've compared ourselves with them and we uh, we we can't take this land. We're not able to. We're grasshoppers. And what was the result there? The whole rest of the nation of Israel followed suit with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. It's just this long process of snowballing. And that's exactly how it happens today. Nothing has changed in that regard. You get around a group of people, somebody just starts in griping about something, whatever it is, the weather, griping about politics, griping about sports, how our team didn't win. And it doesn't take long. Maybe it starts with just one, but it doesn't take long before, before most of that group is doing it, or everybody in the group is doing it. In fact, sometimes I almost think that we try to We try to one-up each other in the whining department. Oh, you think your life is bad. Well, let me tell you about mine. You thought that was awful. I got a story for you. And it could be just any number of places. Maybe we're talking about a, a very poisonous work environment where everybody gets in the break room and everybody's just griping and going on and on about the boss or about the long hours that you put in there. Maybe it's at school, young people. You get around friends, and it's easy to complain about the teachers and all the things that are going on there. Maybe it's even in the foyer here at the church building, where I think sometimes we almost tend to find comfort when we get around other complainers. Kind of makes us feel good to be with like-minded folks. Hey, you're complaining? Well, I got some complaints too. Let's just let's just revel in that for a moment. It is so easy to get swept up in that kind of thing. What's the solution? Well, I'm going to tell you, one of the immediate solutions that comes to my mind is get away from that. Get away from those kinds of people. Flee! First Corinthians talks about how evil companions corrupts good morals. Maybe the friends that I'm hanging around, maybe they are corrupting me and they're corrupting my gratitude, causing me to be a whiner all the time. I remember an episode of, of Hee Haw one time. <clears throat> this is in honor of Roy Clark passing away this past week. I remember an episode of Hee Haw where they had a sketch where a guy came in to Doc Brown. And he said, Doc, Doc, my arm is broke in two places. I broke my arm in two places. And Doc looks at him and he says, Well, stay out of them places. Don't go there anymore. And you know what? That's sometimes just what we need. We need to get away from those toxic people. Get away from those toxic environments. That is, if we can help it. In fact, I'm actually going to do you one better maybe here's what we really ought to attempt to do before we just go running away. Would you go find that story in Numbers? Look in Numbers 14. In Numbers 14, here's what we really ought to seek to do first and foremost. Get around a bunch of toxic people. They're just whining about everything. Just ranting and raving. Numbers chapter 14. Here's the complaint of all of the assembly of Israel. Numbers 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation, they raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones are going to become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to one another, Let's choose a leader and let's go back to Egypt. There he goes. You see, there's that domino effect of getting around a bunch of people who are complaining and whining. But look at the courage of what happens next. Drop down now to verse 7. Verse 7, we're told that Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, they spoke up and they said, the land, the land which we passed through to spy it out, it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land. And He'll give it to us. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land for they're bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That, doing what Joshua and Caleb did, that is hard. That is really hard. To have to be the one person, or in their case two people, who stood up in the face of the majority, all these whining voices, To be the person who stands up and say, we've got to stop this. We shouldn't be acting like this. Why are we complaining here? This is wrong. As Joshua and Caleb said, this is rebellion. In other words, this is sinful what we are doing. And that is so hard to have to be that guy or maybe one or two people in the crowd to do that. I'm going to say to you this evening, that's really what we ought to try to do. We ought to speak up. Think about it. Would we tolerate it? Imagine if you have a bunch of people over at your house, got a group of 20, 30 folks, and a few folks decide, hey, let's just start putting out some lines of heroin or cocaine. Let's just start snorting drugs. We're just going to sit there and let that happen? It's a a big group of people. Maybe everybody then starts doing it. I'm just going to say, okay, I guess I'm just going to allow that to happen. No! We're wiping the table off. Get that out of here. You get out of here if that's the way you're going to be got a group of people together. Somebody says, hey, i got a porno movie. I'm going to put that into the VCR. Are we going to allow that to happen? Absolutely not. Some, hopefully, somebody's going to stand up and say, we can't do that. We're not doing that here. Not in my presence. I don't want none of that around me. Why then? Why then would we tolerate the sin of grumbling and complaining when we know that it is wrong and that it displeases the Lord? We want to try to be that person who's going to stand up. And I realize that maybe maybe those words fall on deaf ears. And if and when that does happen, after we've exhausted every single remedy, then this is what we want to do. Just get away from those people. stop hanging around those people. I don't need to be around that because I don't want to be infected. I don't want to be a whiner. Now if you turn back to Exodus 16, let me show you one final thing. Because it really would be wrong of us to close this lesson out thinking that this story in Exodus 16 is all about the grumbling and the whining that had been happening against Moses and Aaron. Actually, that's not the case. In Exodus 16, drop down a few verses to verse number... Let's look at verse 6. So Moses and Aaron, they said to all the people of Israel, At evening... You shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? At the end of the day, all of our whining that we do against the weather, or our whining that we do at our sports teams, or the whining that we do about the people that are around us and the things that happen to us, ultimately, that whining is not whining at those things and those people. Ultimately, it is grumbling against the Lord. The Lord is the one who is offended. The Lord is the one who is sinned against when we allow ourselves to be overtaken by this sin, the sin of whining. How can we possibly be a people like this. You read these verses in Exodus 16 and we're all going to leave here tonight and we're going to think, well, I'm glad I'm nothing like those people. Are we sure? We're we'll going do some examination about that. But it's so easy for us to convince ourselves that we're doing pretty okay. I complain about this and I complain about that. But God hears every word. And even when it's not vocalized, God hears every thought in your mind. How then can we possibly demonstrate that kind of ingratitude for the Lord who has blessed us in so many ways? Talk this morning about the great hope that is afforded in Christ Jesus and all the things that then go along with that. How can we whine about anything knowing all that God has given to us and all that He has blessed our lives with in a physical way and even more so in a spiritual way? Let's be determined. We're going to implement these kinds of things in our lives So I can get the whining out, and I can be a person who is truly grateful, truly abounding in thanksgiving. Now, as we get ready to sing the song of invitation, it is worth thinking about the great blessings that are afforded to us in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, then hopefully you understand about all the wonderful spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. But I'm here to tell you this evening that if you're not a Christian, you're missing out. You are. You're missing out on so many wonderful things. Redemption, reconciliation, the the opportunity to be forgiven and to be in a covenant relationship with your Heavenly Father who loves you so much. Why don't you take advantage of those blessings this evening? They are offered to you. The Lord has been very gracious. He's been very kind. He's been very patient to allow you to live to this present moment, to be here this evening in this assembly of like-minded folks, people who care about you, people who are ready to help you and assist you in doing what's right. We're ready to help you tonight if you're ready to take that step to confess and announce your faith in Jesus as God's Son and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Brother or sister, it may very well be that you have taken for granted the great blessings and the provisions that God has given to you through Christ Jesus. Maybe you've allowed those things to go to the back of your mind and as a result, whether it's whining and complaining, could be any other sin, whatever it is, it's caused you to be something that you ought not to be. Repent of that. Maybe that's something you're just going to do personally and privately right there in the pew where you are right now. Maybe it's something of a public nature. Maybe it's just something you want to solicit. The prayers and the encouragement of the brothers and sisters here. We're ready to help you. You just need to let us know. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.